We are going tonight to the book of Deuteronomy, and uh, you can just stay seated. I'm thankful for our Focus 52, and this was an incredible chapter this week, and uh, very powerful, and I am convinced that God's going to speak to us something out of this tonight. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 1. All the commandments which I command thee this day shall you observe to do that you may live and multiply. Go in and possess the land which the Lord swear unto your fathers. And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these 40 years in the wilderness to humble thee, to prove thee, to know what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldest keep his commandments or no. And he humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger, fed thee with manna, which thou knewest not, neither did thy fathers know, that he might make thee know that man doth not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. Amen. Praise God. I, I'm gonna, I want to talk to you tonight about the dichotomy of the journey. The dichotomy of the journey. Now, a dichotomy is basically two things that represent opposing each other. For example, night and day, light and dark, flesh and spirit, natural and spiritual, the world and the church. When God speaks, He speaks to the church and the world at the same time. The message is different, but the purpose is the same. Now, I want to show you something. I was talking to Pastor Sunday. You know, he always catches me about 30 minutes before service. He said, man, I sure wish you had a hot word tonight. And I, I was sharing with Pastor how that where we are in time right now is really not anything unusual. When you go back to the very beginning of it all, you know, I, I have guys tell me all the time, well, I don't think all of this stuff that's going on in the world right now has anything to do with an attack on the church. You're crazy. If you don't think this is an attack on righteousness, trying to silence the voice of the righteous and to shut down the word of God, you're, you must have an ostrich in your bloodline. But it's really not unusual. When you think about it, and I'll just cut to the chase here, 
when you think about it, the God of all glory robes Himself in flesh, comes to do nothing more than to save the world from their sin, heal the sick, raise the dead, open blinded eyes, open deaf ears, cast out devils. He didn't come to hurt anybody. He came to help everybody. However, the Bible said he did say, I didn't come to bring peace on the earth, but I came to bring a sword. But when you look at it, the God of all glory came to do nothing but good. The church is not out to hurt anybody. Somebody help me right here. I'll get to my message in a minute. But the God of all glory, they killed him. For doing nothing but good and preaching truth and living righteous. So we're not living anything out unusual here. Let me just let you in on a little something else. They killed him, but he didn't stay there. And they may kill you. But you won't stay there. Somebody's coming out of a grave. Somebody's going to rise to meet him in the air. You, you see, the dichotomy is death and life. Okay. Watch me here. The purpose for God speaking is twofold. To get our attention, to draw us closer to Him. That's both to the world and to the church. Watch this. To the world, He says, I didn't come up with this, but when I saw it, I had to use it. God said, I've taken everything you worship away. You want to worship athletes? So I'll close the stadiums. You want to worship musicians? So I'll close the civic centers. You want to worship actors? I'll close the theaters. You're not going to help me, but it's okay. You want to worship money? I'll collapse the economy and crash the stock market. You don't want to go to church? So I'll make it so you can't go to church. So you wish you could. Now, that all, all of that has happened to the world. And what God is saying to the world is... I want you to understand I need your attention. People who never prayed or hardly ever prayed are praying now. I've seen and heard commercials that say we need more of God's love. Pew Research Center, a survey organization, says more than half of the adults 55% say they have prayed for the end of cuss word 19. 
He's getting their attention and he's drawing them closer to him. That's what he's saying to the world. To the church, he's saying, Woe to them that are at ease inside. You become stagnant and have come to his nostrils as a stinking mess. Oh, Zion, what's the matter now? You don't pray like you used to pray. What's the matter now? We've allowed church to become complacent and settle for mediocrity. Somebody help me right here. It's become a social gathering place. Instead of the church being the light of the world or the change agent of the world. So, the dichotomy of the journey. He has allowed those things to happen to bring us to Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 2. Listen to what he says. To humble thee and to prove thee to know what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldest keep his commandments or no, not for him but for us to get our attention and draw us closer to Him. I heard somebody say the other day that God wouldn't dare allow His people to go through trouble and trial. That's not the kind of God He is. I'm about to help you a little bit right here. You see, the dichotomy of the journey is you got to be humble to be blessed. We, we, we've got to realize tonight as the church, the journey, the journey for all of us is not always going to be easy. Now, I know you're not going to like this, but i got to say it anyway. God has allowed this pandemic to happen. He has allowed death to run its course. He has allowed fear and panic to grip the hearts of the people. He has allowed shelter in place to happen. He has allowed normalcy to change. He's interrupted life. But hear me. Better days are coming. Oh, let me say it again. You gotta go through the journey, and you gotta go through the trial, and you gotta go through the test to get you to the blessing. Say, well, Bishop, how we're Better days going to come. Watch me. I, I got to give you the bad news before I give you the good news. Before better days can come, we've got to learn another dichotomy. The dichotomy is this. 
premise and promise. Premise. Everybody say premise and promise. Everyone wants the promises of God. We want life more abundantly. We want it failing to understand that we must first do the premise. Watch. What is premise? Glad you asked. Premise is the prerequisite that must happen before the promise is released. How will better come? Here it is. Second Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 13. If I shut up heaven that there be no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. He said, I'm going to cause a nation to pray. I'm going to tell you, the world is praying because of the coronavirus. Verse 14 gives a premise or a prerequisite promises to the promises of God. Remember, the message is to the world. And to the church. And the world message is different than the one to the church, but they both have the same purpose. Watch what he says. If my people will humble themselves, remove pride, We find ourselves oftentimes very prideful. It's all about me, 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 and failing to love one another. The premise says, I gotta forget about me, and I've gotta become concerned about others. And then he says, if they'll pray, if they'll talk to God, people are praying like they haven't done in a long time. But here's the kicker. If they'll seek my face, this is where we in the church struggle. We spend our time looking for His hand when we need to be spending our time looking for His glory. Well, now, wait a minute, Bishop. No, you wait a minute. Someone may say, 
The Bible said no man could see his face and live. But hear me right now. We must die out to worldly desires. We must die out to the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eye and the pride of life. And when we do, we will see the glory of the Lord. You want to know where you're going to see the face of God? Is when you lay your hands on somebody that's possessed with demons and the demons leave. That's the hand and face of God. You want to know where you're going to see the face of God? Is when a sinner walks down the aisle, repents of their sin, and are buried in the name of Jesus, filled with the Holy Ghost. That's the manifestation of the glory of God. Then he said, Turn from their wicked ways. Everybody say repent. 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 That's turn 180 degrees from sin and a sinful lifestyle. And then... Remember, premise to promise. Then he will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Have you ever gone through an experience? I know you have and looked back thinking, what was that all about? Anybody here ever been thrown a, a curve by the way that, a curveball by the way that events occurred in your life? You expected one thing and that wasn't the way it happened at all. But I returned to where I started. Moses is at the end of his life. And he's reviewing. Maybe sometimes we need to review where God has brought us from. Maybe sometimes we just need to stop for a moment and quit worrying about having our immediate need met. And just stop and say, well, look where the Lord has brought us. The old song said, he healed my body. He touched my mind. He saved me just in time. Come on, somebody. There just comes a time in our life, in the dichotomy of our journey, that we just got to stop and quit worrying about the trial and start thanking God because he blessed us to get us to where we are. Come on, somebody thank Him for where you are right now. 
Moses says, let, let me just remind you of a few things here, folks. I don't think it happened the way they expected it to happen. I think some explanation was in order, so Moses gives it to them by the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. It was a glorious day when God parted the Red Sea and led His people out of Egyptian bondage. Exodus chapter 15 records the Pentecostal praise service that followed. Miriam grabbed her tambourine and they praised God like never before. They danced all over that place. I will sing unto the Lord, for He has triumphed gloriously. <laughs> oh, the horse and the rider has He thrown into the sea. That was just a few steps away from an incredible miracle that could have never happened without the hand of God. Somebody's here tonight and the only way you could be here is because of the hand of God. The only way you're alive tonight is because of the hand of God. Oh, but Bishop, I'm going through this or I'm going through that. Would you just stop for a minute? You're going to make it through the journey. But God's got you where He's got you right now. Oh, that one day, that one event, they've gone from pending disaster to glorious victory. Trapped between the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army, it looked like there was no hope. Anybody been there? Then God intervened, parted the Red Sea, and destroyed the enemy. Have you ever had an experience that left you thinking, happy times are here to stay? We got this thing licked now. It's going to be smooth sailing from here on out. That's after two weeks' revival with Bruce Shepard. Have you ever had a Red Sea experience? A point in your personal history when breakthrough happened. And it happened at such a level that it felt like all of your troubles were behind you. I need you to get a sense of that emotional state of Israel at the Red Sea so you can appreciate the text that I'm about to read to you. Are you there yet? You remember that Red Sea moment in your life? 
You remember when it felt like it was impossible and all of a sudden God opened up something to you and said, Hey, look here. You can make it through this. Not on your own, but because my hand is with you, I'm going to take, come on somebody, I'm going to take you through this. You see, the dichotomy of the journey is sometimes we've got to nudge up next to the impossible for God to make it become possible. Now, just jump forward with me 40 years. And Moses said, let's look back over our lives. Try to understand what God was doing during our journey. I I might take the liberty at this point to add. Because it didn't happen exactly the way they thought it would. In fact, it was very different than what we thought as we stood on the shores of the Red Sea and watched the bodies of Pharaoh's army wash up out of the sea. But watch this. God speaks through Moses and this is what he says. Just like he speaks to the world and the church at the same time. Watch me here. And you shall remember... That the Lord your God led you not part of the way. Watch what it says. Led you all the way. If you're here tonight and you're feeling like maybe you're not going to make it. I've got good news for you. He didn't bring you this far to let you die. He didn't bring you this far to let you be lost. He didn't bring you this far. Come on, somebody, to let you miss heaven. He's going to go with you all the way. Listen to it. Listen to it. He said, God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness. Now, let's stop right there for a minute. We're going to get to the journey here. The Lord led them where? He led them where? I I thought we were going to paradise. I thought we were going to a land that flowed with milk and honey. Later in in verse 15, the wilderness is, is described as a terrible wilderness in which fiery serpents and scorpions and a thirsty land where there was no water. Man, that sounds like a great escape from slavery. To be honest with you, it sounds more like a place that the devil would lead us. Other than a place the Lord would lead us to. Since God is God, 
easier journey? If he could create the heavens and the earth with just his word, couldn't he have transformed that wilderness into a paradise right before they got there? Why? Here it is. Here's the spirit of the world right here. Why would a loving God deliver his people from Egypt only to lead them into a terrible wilderness with fiery serpents, scorpions, and no water? Let's talk about your journey and my journey. Can we do that a minute? You're not in too big of a hurry, are you? We, some of you didn't sound very convincing. We have people in this room who have had to overcome leukemia, cancer, bankruptcy, divorce, just to name a few. They've been through hell and high water. I personally have walked through some wilderness ground and contended with some very fiery serpents. And so have you. Why is David's journey from the sheepfold to the throne filled with adversity? Why couldn't have God just given him favor with King Saul that ushered him to the throne nice and easy? Instead, David had to dodge spears, run from Saul as a fugitive of justice. And contend with the Philistines while he was doing it. What was going on there? Why does the Apostle Paul have to endure shipwreck, stoning, imprisonment on his journey? He's serving God with everything in him. If God is all powerful, then these things just don't have to be. Well, I got some of you thinking right now. Maybe it's not polite to ask these kinds of questions in church. But you get in a wilderness full of trouble and unexplained difficulties, and those questions come to mind. Someone might say, yes, but they didn't have to spend 40 years in that wilderness. In 11 days, they could have entered the promised land. Yeah, to do what? To do what? Some of you tonight need to thank God for some unanswered prayer. All right, let me say it again. I said some of you need to thank God for some unanswered prayer. You need to thank God that He didn't give you what you were asking. You, I know it's hard for us to believe in our humanity that it's so, but God knows a whole lot more about your life than you know about your life, and He knows how it's going to end, and you just need to trust Him enough to take Him by the hand 
and let him lead you through your journey. Watch this. Why, why would God not let that happen? So they could walk in the promised land 11 days. What for? To fight giants. When the second generation does enter the promised land, it's a battle. There's Jericho. Then the defeated AI. And then more battles. That's what the first generation should have been doing. But you see, somewhere they got lost in the dichotomy of the journey. They thought just because they were who they were, they deserved to just get to march right in. Uh, You're not going to help me. They thought because of who they were, God ought to automatically bless them. Good Lord, He blessed them. He opened the Red Sea. He killed their enemy. I'll get to the rest later. He took care of them. It doesn't change the fundamental question, however. God, why don't you make this journey easier? Why not kill all the giants in the land with a plague so I don't have to fight them? Why has God allowed adversity in your life? Why hasn't God stepped in and made it easy for us? Why do we have to contend with the devil at all? Why did he make it easy for Joseph and David and Paul? What in the world is God doing with our lives? In Deuteronomy 8, Moses reminds them. He answers those questions. He said, let me just tell you why. This is the reason why. You shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness. And here's the answer. To humble you and test you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Watch. So he humbled you. He allowed you to hunger. He fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know. That he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. I want to focus on the objective of God for your life tonight. Then we're going to get out of here. Moses said, so he humbled you. The human experience for the Christian is designed to work humility into our basic character. Why is it 
that that's so important. First, it's a fundamental characteristic of God. It's impossible for three people to live in perfect unity for eternity without humility. You can put three people in the same house and there's not going to be unity there forever. <laughs> Pastor said not before. What, 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 are you, what are you trying to say? Pride breaks unity. God's plan for us is that we live with Him forever in perfect unity. For that to happen, some humility has to be worked in our hearts. Go back with me for a moment, eons past. There in heaven is a beautiful angel named Lucifer. He was perfect in every regard except one flaw was found in his heart. Out of pride, he led a rebellion against the Almighty God. It's hard to imagine a created being living in the perfect environment of heaven, rebelling against a loving God. But that's how sinister pride is. Ah, oh, somebody needs to hear me right now. Out of the sin of pride, issued rebellion and all other sin there is nothing more destructive than pride and I want to tell you this pride can have no place in the kingdom of God you listen to me right now I feel something in the Holy Ghost. This is not in my notes. But I'm going to tell you if there's a spirit trying to rise up in you against the leadership of this assembly, against the ministry of this assembly, you need to find an altar somewhere and pray for God to deliver you from that pride that's keeping you from submitting to the authority in your life because pride... If it stays in your journey, it will cause you to miss the promised land. Somebody praise Him right now. So Moses tells these people, God led you through some hard experiences because the quality of humility needed to be worked into your character. And then we read in verse 3 that God allowed you to hunger. Now does that fit with your concept of God? 
God led these people into, the, into a wilderness where there was nothing to eat or drink. He allowed them to hunger. Why? So that he could teach them something that they'll need to know for all eternity. You better listen to me close right here because I don't want you to miss this. That man does not live by bread alone, but by every, everybody say every, every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He led them to a place where they could feel the need for God's help. And in that place, he helped them. He fed them manna. Every day. They had to feel that dependence. Every day. I could quit right there. Each day. There was a perceived danger. That it might not be there the next morning. But God showed himself faithful to them and provided for their daily needs for 40 years. You're not hearing me right now. I'm telling you that God wants to get you to the place in your life that you are totally dependent upon him. And when he has you there, his word declares, I will supply all your needs according to my riches which are in glory. You see, here's where we get in trouble. When things start lifting a little bit and the pressure starts to leave a little bit, then we begin to forget what got us to where we are. And when we forget, pride steps in. And pride stops the blessing of God from being able to flow in our life. It wasn't that God wouldn't meet their need. He worked a miracle for them with the manna. But he worked in a way that taught them dependence on him. Now, I'm going to show you something right here. I don't know if I've ever seen this before, Pastor. But when I seen it, it, it clicked with me. As an eternal creature in a glorified body, you will be no less dependent on God then than you are right now. Now wait just a minute, Bishop. Dependency on God is the reality of being the creature rather than the creator. That's why the Bible said, for years and years, forever and ever, we're going to be magnifying Him and glorifying Him and worshiping Him. 
It's why the angels worship Him. Because the creature must exalt the Creator. And even when you get a glorified body, there's going to be something in you that says, I'm still depending on you. The important thing is that we understand and we live with that dependence forever. It's why prayer is so crucial. It is living in dependence. Not independent, in dependence. Years ago, I had a completely backwards understanding of what spiritual maturity meant. I thought the more spiritually mature I became, the more independently strong I would be. But it's the opposite of that. The more spiritually mature I am, the more I have learned dependence on God. Luke chapter 4, when Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, he quotes this Old Testament passage out of Deuteronomy. The first temptation Satan threw at him was the temptation to take matters into his own hands. Watch now, abandon dependence. And turn the stone into bread. Jesus answered to that temptation. I know it's not written like this, but just allow me. What's that you say? Independent or a little. Yeah, hermeneutical proof. That's it. I'm not, I'm not used to them big words. So Jesus says this. No, I will live in dependence upon the Father. I will not take matters into my own hands. I will not turn this stone into bread. I will not make my own desires the priority. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I don't, want to, I don't want to upset your apple cart here, but let me help you right now. Life is not about me getting my needs met. Life is about doing the will of God in my life. I will not take matters into my own hands. I will not turn this stone into bread. I will not make my own desires the priority. Let me, I want you to say this with me. Ready? My sustenance comes by drawing on the life of Jesus.
It doesn't come by striving to take care of yourself. Well, Bishop, if I don't take care of myself, nobody will. Oh, boy. The focus, Deuteronomy 8, is the preparation of a nation to enter into the promises of God. But they had to go through the premise to get to the promise. They needed to know that the challenging circumstances of their lives were not because God didn't care. It was not because God wasn't big enough to make it easier. It was because God was preparing them for their future. As a father disciplines his son, To prepare him for adulthood. God disciplines you and me to train us for our future. Of course it's a very brief part of that future. Is experienced in the remaining days of this life. I I begin to understand that I'm, I'm closer to dying than I am to living many more years. I begin to understand something. I need God now more than I've ever needed Him before. Ah, we've been together a long time, but I'm going to tell you, I haven't gotten to the place that I can make it without Jesus. I am leaning on Him. I am depending on Him. It's in Him that I live and move and have my being. Sometimes when you're a little younger, you become, have the tendency to become a little self-sufficient. But I want to tell you something. As a Christian, you must realize the continuity of who you are now and who you will be after the resurrection. You know the Bible says that we shall be Known as we are known. We're just going to have a glorified body. But I believe we're still going to be dependent upon God. Just because we made it across the finish line doesn't mean that we don't need Him anymore. Say, well, I've got a glorified body. I won't need any food. Look, I ain't going if there's not food there. Paul says, Paul makes us to understand the environment's going to be holy. But you'll be you. So how's that, how is that, Bishop? How, how does that relate to the trials and hardships in your personal journey? Watch this. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. Paul says this. For our light affliction which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. 
Watch this. The weight of glory you carry in eternity depends on your cooperation with His work in your life now. If you're born again, if you're going to heaven based on the covenant sacrifice of Jesus Christ at the cross, that's a, that's a free gift of eternal life received by faith. But your capacity for the glory in the ages to come is being determined now by how you walk out this journey. How thoroughly tonight do you know that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God? That word is forever true. And watch this. It's not just true in this life. Dependence upon God is true for the angels. And it's true for the redeemed mankind. God is the source of everything. The beginning of all and the end of all. Shortly after Paul talks about our affliction working for us glory, he then talks about the judgment seat of Christ. And this is what he said, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Is that the word? Watch now. That's talking to Christians and Christians alone. It's not talking about your salvation. It's talking about the authority that God can trust you with in the eternal kingdom. It's talking about the relative weight of glory that He can manifest through you in the eternal kingdom. The quality of the glory is the same for every Christian. The life of God has the quality of righteousness and love and power that is inherent in who God is. But the degree of glory that you will carry varies from one Christian to another. I know I got some of you thinking right now. I'm still in the Word. Now watch this. Paul says, Paul says, verse 41, he said, As one star differs from another star in glory, so also is the resurrection of the dead. You can look at it. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You can read it later. There's a lot at stake here, folks, in the dichotomy of this journey. James said that this life is just like a vapor. He, he compares eternity, it's but a moment. God doesn't want us baffled by this journey. He doesn't want us confused by this journey. He wants us to understand that He's working all things together for our good. 
And your test and your trial is not mine and mine is not yours. But the Bible said that we're going to come to the place in our lives that we must conform to the image of the Son of God. We must commit ourselves and be dependent on Him in such a way that we can do like Jesus said in a wilderness trial when He could have turned the stone to bread. I won't do it because I won't let my selfish ways get in the way of the will of God. Let me close. The question is, are we committed to the process? Israel murmured, complained in the wilderness, and did not enter into all that God had for them. The writer of Hebrews says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. I'm going to ask you today, are you willing to live out the premise to inherit the promise? It's the dichotomy of the journey. Are you willing to humble yourselves and become dependent upon the God of all glory? Would you rather do it your way or do it God's way? I'm going to tell you, your way won't get you where you're going. Your way will take you places that you don't want to go. But God's way will get you to the promise. A stand. The dichotomy of the journey. Can I ask you tonight? Can I ask you tonight? Are you willing? Are you willing to lay it all down to inherit the promise? It's what Jesus told that rich young ruler that day. He knew all the laws, the commandments. He knew how to pray. He knew how to live as good as a person could in that day. But Jesus said, there's something in you that is going to keep you from inheriting the promise. He said, just one thing. You know, we talk about all the time how God wouldn't, he wouldn't keep people out of heaven for that. That's not really in the word, but it sounds good. It fits the narrative of today, but it's not really in the word. But Jesus looked at that young, rich young ruler and he said, One thing thou lackest. And if you're willing to hold on to that, then you've missed the message because you can't have the promise without the premise. Let's lift our hands and love the Lord together right now. Jesus.